Let me pray for Jamie. Uh, Lord, our God, as Jamie comes to, to give witness to you, I ask that you strengthen her and fortify her and allow her to say the words that you have put in her heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Knock him alive, Jamie. Hi. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home, and I grew up going to church and everything. Um, so I was a Christian growing up. Um, but like towards like fifth through eighth grade, so like middle school area, I went through some pretty rough experiences. And um, I really started to struggle with um, worrying. And um, just like I held everything in. I kept it all to myself. I tried to be strong and independent and not depend on anyone else to carry my burdens. And um, uh, during eighth grade, my grandpa was diagnosed with cancer. And um, it hit me really hard. Uh, and so I really was just consumed with worrying about that. And um, he was then, uh, after a couple months, he was uh, sent home to die, and they told him that the chemo wasn't working, that they were going to stop. And um, it just completely broke me. I was, by then, I was, like, consumed with worrying. Um, it grabbed hold of me, like, physically and emotionally and spiritually. I couldn't eat. Um, I, like, dropped 20 pounds. I, had, I was in and out of the doctor's office. I had so many um, health issues. And um, I couldn't sleep at night because my mind just would not stop reeling on going through everything that, like, bad could happen in my life and what-if situations. And um, I was just worrying nonstop, and I couldn't get my mind to stop enough to relax to go to sleep. And um, so I was just completely consumed with worry. And I was praying at night, um, and the Holy Spirit just revealed to me, like, um, the sin that was in my life of worrying and not trusting in God to take care of my problems and not leaning on him and depending on him and giving my burdens up to him. And um, so I just really prayed about it, and I just lifted up all the problems and all the issues in my life and my grandpa, and um, I just lifted it all up to God, and he just took all of those burdens off my shoulders. And that night I just had this, like, overwhelming amount of peace come over me and I knew I didn't have to worry anymore because I knew God's plans for me were good and that he was in control and that um, he had what was best in uh, had what's best in mind for my life and um, so he just completely freed me from the worry and the sin and everything that I was going through and um, I started to like regain my health and everything and uh, uh, after a while my grandpa hadn't passed away yet so he went in for a health checkup and um, they did a body scan to see how the cancer was doing, like see where it was at, because it had metastasized before, which means it had gone out of control. And um, when they did the body scan, they found out that he was cancer-free and that God had just completely taken it away from that. And through that experience, God has just shown me how powerful he is and how, like, no matter what this world tells us, that he's not bound by the world's logic and he's not bound by what's possible and what's not possible and what the world tells us and that he is almighty and all-powerful and that he can move mountains for us and save us from absolutely anything. And so, like, throughout my life, I've just really had that as a strong, like, foundation for my faith because whenever something comes along, I can be like, God cured cancer for me. Like, he's, he really think he can't deal with this, too. Like, everything else seems so small when you think about how powerful God really is and how in control he really is. And, um, yeah, that's my story. We got more notes for that. That was awesome. We got more notes. Oh my gosh.
Hello, congregation. Hello. Good morning. Guys, um, Summer Games is the best, so everyone should go if you have the chance. Um, but I was asked to introduce the next speaker. I don't know if you guys know him. He comes here often, I think. Um, but it just amazes me like how much I get out of his message every Sunday. And um, so please help me give a Summer Games welcome to Pastor Mike. <laughs> you going to pray for me? Yes. Um, let's pray for Pastor Mike. All right. Hey, God, um, thank you so much for bringing Mike up here today to just speak um, your words. And just I just pray that everyone's heart is softened. softened sorry, I'm nervous. <laughs> everyone's heart is softened and that they just get something out of this message and just speak the words that you want him to speak. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Give Whitney a hand. She did a great job. Hey, Brady. Can you get that piece of wood over there, that, that big thing, that big tall thing right over there? that I always put my Bible on, it's right there. Thank you. Um, good morning. Uh, I'm going to have Brady come up here because I just can't uh, uh, hand it, handle myself. Hey, you're strong. You carry it over here. Um, I told some of the kids today, I said, How's it, what's it like to come to church and realize you dressed like an old guy? <laughs> uh, Seth Fawcett, jump up here, would you? I want to show the congregation something that we know. Jump up right here. You want to try it again? All right, I want, that's the Seth we know. I want you to show, to show you something about what was happening today when we were doing praise and worship. Seth, I want you to raise your hands and hold them up like that. These in worship are known as worship stains. These are worship stains. Oh, Pastor Mike's got some too. Say, so you're not worshiping until you got worship stains, so give Seth a hand. Well done, thank you. I just hear some of you talking on the phone. Say, I don't know. We just went to church and it went all sideways on us. I don't know what's going on up there. The guy was talking about sweat and stuff. Um, I do want to uh, really thank our 412 band and under the leadership of Simon Campbell. And I want to thank Simon Peters for, stick, for stepping in on the uh, lead guitar. Simon's over here. <laughs> Your wife was over there, so I was like, oh, cool. Um, well, Pastor Keith is gone today. At uh, He's at a, a homecoming for the church where he was at before and having all the former pastors back. So Keith is uh, blessed to be there. But over the last few weeks, months actually, the last few months, Keith and I have been talking about the ministry, the message, the mission, and the method of a number of different pastors, pastors that are famous, pastors that are from days of renown, pastors that you find, preachers that you find in the book of Acts. Uh, we've talked about Peter, we've talked about Paul, we've talked about Stephen, we've talked about Philip, we've talked about Silas, John, Mark, and, and uh, Barnabas and some of the others. And we're going to spend these last two weeks in this series talking about some very, very much less famous ministers. Today is the day you're going to hear about the mission, the ministry, the method, and the message of your pastor. And next week, you're going to hear from your other pastor. The same thing. So here we go. If you're a person that writes something down, stuff down, when the pastors talk, write this down. The minister. This is the minister, Mike Morgan. Here is the, the thrust and center of the minister that is Mike Morgan. I am not ashamed. Write that down. The scripture is, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God and salvation for all who believe. Um, check it out. It's Romans 1, 1, 16. Check it out. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So we've heard the background of all the ministers here, and that is my ministry. Let me tell you how it began. Like Jamie Pepper, who did, that's fantastic. I look up here, this, her notes, she has no notes for all that. Was that awesome testimony? She has no notes. That was fantastic. I'm like, yeah, of course, I know everybody hopes that I have notes, Jamie, because they know when I get to the end, I'll stop, which is kind of a crapshoot if you've ever been here before. But um, here's how it starts. I was raised in a Christian home, and I was nurtured in this church. And I don't want to throw that across there like that's some sort of easy, simple potion. Raising someone and raising someone like me in a Christian home was no small task. If you have been raised in a Christian home, if you are raising people within the, uh, within the construct of a Christian home, this is hard work. This is not easy. So I don't want to gloss over the fact that my parents gave their all to raise a Christian in their home. I was nurtured. I happen, those of you who don't know me very well, I was nurtured in this church. I grew up. I did the youth group. I did all that kind of stuff. And still, just like I said last week, I was one of those guys that I knew, man. I knew the light of Christ was burning in me, and I walked around this all the time. I had the light burning in my heart, but I know, and I got no excuses for this. In the 70s, it was just not cool to be Christian. It wasn't cool to talk about it. I mean, you could brought a dime bag of weed to school. You'd have been cool. But talking about Jesus, not so cool, okay? So, like, we, we did not talk about our faith very much. And I went through most of my life coming to church and even undercover. Like, when my high school football coach would ask me why I couldn't make films on Sunday night, I would just be, like, muttering something like that, blah, 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 blah. Well, I had to go to church. I didn't have to go to church. I wanted to go to church. This is where some of my people were. But I still was not living it on the outside like I could and did on the inside. So when I went to college, and I will always mark this day, it's a huge day of transformation. My junior year, Easter Sunday. We had a doubleheader that day, and Mike had been out late. Now, I'm going to unbridle some of my sermon. This is summer games, so we tend to tell the whole truth, none but truth, right? So I had been partying all night the night before, the partying of the unsanctified person. And I was, man, I was laying in bed, and at like a quarter to six, this knock on my door. Wake up! It's Easter Sunday worship at Crane's Pond. I said, shut up. I wanted to be asleep. I had bang practice at 11 o'clock. I didn't want to get up yet. Five minutes later, Easter sunrise service. Get up. I'm like, I do not want to get up. Go away. About five minutes to six, a pan a steel pan's hitting on my door. Bam, 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 bam. Mike Morgan, we know you're in there. Wake up. Come to worship at Crane's Pond. So I'm like, all right, these people aren't ever going to shut up. I'm going. I put on my clothes. You know, it's cold. It's, it's Easter, man. It's April. You know, the grass, all it's before 6 o'clock in the morning, which up until that time in college, I had seen zero times. Okay. It was like a couple minutes to six. I sloshed down there, get there, and there's like 25 people. It's Easter Sunday. There's like 25 people. We're standing around this homemade cross. And here's this dude named Sterling Bolden. Sterl, we called him. Six foot six, 280, African-American from Dunbar High School in Chicago. He's a defensive tackle. You get the visual picture. And Sterling starts preaching the Easter message. He starts telling this is how Christ gave his life for us. This is how Christ came out of the tomb. And the whole time he's talking... I'm thinking, 
I could do it better than that. How's that for holy? I was thinking, I could do it better than that. I could do a better job than Sterling. It's kind of boring, man. He's missing some of the main points. I've been to Sunday school. I've been to church. I knew the points of the resurrection. But here's what happened at the end. As unsanctified and unprepared as I was to receive Jesus Christ that day, here's what happened. At the end of the service, Sterling goes up to that big giant cross, and he rips off a piece of it. Rips it off. I mean, these guys burly. He goes to this girl that's standing right beside me, and he puts it in her hands gently because she was a girl. Puts it in her hands and then says right into her eyes, what are you going to do about Jesus? He goes back up the cross, rips another piece off, goes to the next girl, puts it in her hands, says, what are you going to do about Jesus? Goes all the way around the circle. And then he gets to the slightly hungover, unwanting to be there, third baseman that wanted to go to batting practice in four hours, Mike Morgan, and he takes it and he puts it in my hand, but Sterling's a big man. So not only did he put it in my hand, he grabbed both my hands. And he looked at me and he says, what are you going to do about Jesus? Well, he'd done that to everybody else, so I started stepping back and he pulled me back. He says, what are you going to do about Jesus? Then he goes, Mike! What you going to do about Jesus? Mike Morgan, what you going to do about Jesus? And he started this African-American preaching rhythm on me, and he's got a hold of me, and he's way too big for me to get loose. And so finally, after about 20 rhythms of that, he let me go. And I still had this piece of chunked up wood in my hand. And I don't know what happened after that. We somehow left, and I got back to my room. I remember sitting there thinking, that is a really good question. Since he asked it 20 times, it had penetrated me. What am I going to do about Jesus? And I started to pray, and I started to think, and I started to look at my life. And I would say from, to anyone that asked me the question, have you ever been reborn? I would say, yes, I was reborn as a Christian in 1980, on Easter Sunday, praise the Lord. From there forward, I'm always sanctified. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God of salvation to all who believe. So I watched all these doors in my life. Now I've been saved. All I've been changed for the glory of God. I watched all these doors shut. Bam, 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 bam. All the things that I want to do with my life got the doors shut on me. And so I went over to the office that's not here anymore. And I said to Glenn Lamb, I said, the pastor here, I said, what am I supposed to do? He says, you're supposed to go to seminary. I said to my professor at school, what are you supposed to, what am I supposed to do now? He says, you're supposed to go to seminary. I asked one of my friends. And he says, well, Mike, everybody else knows you're going to be a minister. You might as well go do that. So I went off to seminary. And in 1983, I came back to Iowa, to the Iowa Annual Conference that was being held in the barn, the old vet's auditorium, a gymnasium made into a sanctuary, right? And they called me forward, and I knelt down on the altar before Bishop Wayne Clymer, and he put his hands on my head, and he said, Michael Lowell Morgan, take authority. And when he said those words, take authority, I swear to goodness sake, I felt the Holy Spirit rocket right through my body, right through the bottom of my wingtips. I would be what you called slayed in the Spirit because I was glad they were on the M's because there was no way I could get up from that spot until he got to the end of the list naming all the people. And I knew right then that the rest of my life was going to be spent as a minister of the gospel, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to all who believe. And in 1982... I was thrilled to get the job as youth pastor at Colorado Springs St. Paul's Church and be, begin to nurture some people into Christ who are now, of course, in their 40s and some of them been closing in on 50. 
1987, Teresa and I went to Cedar Edge Community Church, and we, we fired up that church, not just because it burned down while we were there, which it did, which was, that was a different day. Someday I'll tell you that story. But, but we fired up that church, and the church about tripled in its attendance, went from 70-some people to over 250 in its worship attendance. It was a fantastic time. And then we got this blessing. I mean, it's just a total blessing. We're sitting out there in western Colorado, and I got nominated to be the director of church relations, uh, chaplain and instructor of religion at Simpson College. And I went there, and for four years, I got to spend four years with uh, 18 to 23-year-olds who were at the most impactful time in their lives, being in the classroom, being in the worship facilities, being with them just to, 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 to help them grapple with what life is all about. And I know that many of them, you know, matured in their faith. Some of them became Christians. Some, of course, began to even think of the idea. And in 1995, we were asked to come up and be the senior pastor. My first time as a lead pastor at the Asbury United Methodist Church, 1,000-member church up in North Iowa. And in 2003, um, uh, God be praised, I was sent to Marion, Iowa to be your lead pastor. And so as a minister, I will say you, if you ever question what Mike the minister is about, you just say to anybody that asks, Romans 1, 16, I am not ashamed of the power uh, of the gospel, for it is the power of salvation to all who believe. So if you've written one thing down, write that, the minister, I am not ashamed. Let's go to my message. The message is simple. And I, really, honestly, those of you that have been here, you know, I've, I've been here almost 500 Sundays, so some of you are getting this stuff down pretty well. But the message of my ministry is simply this. Come and live in Jesus. Come and live in Jesus. You know, a lot of people have asked me, well, Mike, what does it mean to come to Jesus? What, what does it simply mean to come to Jesus? We're going to go to our second scripture, and I've been messing with the tech guys all morning. I'm going with the second scripture first, Romans 5, verse 6. This is what I think it means to come to Jesus. And, of course, there's a lot of... Uh, different pieces in the scripture that affirm this but check this out you see at just the right time you get what i'm saying here this is not a random time this, you know god didn't do his works at just some random time and wake up one day and say oh this is the day i'm going to save the world no he says at just the right time while we were still powerless christ died for the ungodly very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die but god demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were yet sinners get this you don't have to be cleaned up to have jesus atoning blood to be poured on you before you were before you were good before you were bad but while you were still bad the gift is given you while we were still sinners christ died for us since we have now been justified by his blood how much more shall we be saved from god's wrath through him for if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only this is so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. Let me make it simple. It's like this. God is here. He is pure and holy and just and righteous and perfect and we are here and we are none of those things we have abandoned god we have broken 
covenant with him. We have sinned, and therefore we have become estranged. So there's this big gap, this big chasm, this big gulf between us and God. And we want to be where God is because that is where life is righteous and wonderful. But there is nothing that we can do to get from where we are to where God is. There's no bridge that we can build. We can be moral. We can get philosophy. We can try to be a good person, all those kind of things. But nothing will bridge that chasm. Nothing that we can do can bridge the chasm. But here's the thing, and this is what the Scripture tells us. There is already a bridge there. And the bridge is Jesus Christ, who died for you on the cross, was resurrected, and therefore has sanctified your life and given you the opportunity to go from where you're at, which is broken and estranged and far away, to be at one with God. And to do so, All you must do is believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and walk on the bridge that is his life and receive your restoration, which means you're put back to your full value, and redemption, which means you are at one with God. Believe that Jesus Christ is the bridge, receive him and your restoration, and become one who desires to live their life out doing whatever Christ would have you do. That's what it means to come to Jesus. Now, the second part of come and live is how do you live in Jesus? Well, let me tell you what it's not. I invented a word this year. Anybody who went to summer games knew that I invented a word. The word was campianity. We don't believe in campianity. We don't believe in churchianity either. Churchianity and campianity is stuff that we have faith when we're right here. And because we come to church, somebody says, well, are you a Christian? Well, I go to church. Well, yeah, I go to McDonald's, but I'm not a freaking French fry, right? <laughs> right? You know, I stand in my garage. That doesn't make me a Toyota, okay? We, we got to understand the simple truth. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry about that. We got to understand the simple truth of it is that churchianity and, Christi- and campianity, those are things when we come to camp, it passes by. The experience is over, and probably on the way home, you are already so tired you're starting to forget. When you come to church, some of you, by the time you get to your Taco Bell drive-in on the way out of here, you'll forget what happened in here. But Christianity is not something that w- washes off of you. It's something that stays with you. I don't care what kind of tats you have, what kind of t-shirts you have, what kind of jewelry you have. All that can be covered up. It doesn't matter that you just showed up. It doesn't matter that you dressed up. It doesn't matter that you came into the church. That is not what living in Christ is. What living in Christ is, is simple. Now let me, I I sometimes have to say to, to, to people, this is an analogy. This is an analogy. Well, let's do a little audience participation. Uh, do the Methodist raise if you've ever seen a tree. Raise your hand if you've seen a tree in your whole life. Have you ever seen a tree? All right. So about 50, 60% of you have seen a tree. All right, good. From that, uh, from that, we're going to have the band back in just a minute. And I guarantee you, compared to summer games, I've cut about an hour off this sermon, right? I mean, they, they would let me go to four. You guys probably not so much. But um, it's like this. The life of a tree, a tree, you know, tree. Life of a tree is determined on where its roots are. Okay? So if you've ever been out in Colorado or some arid place like that, and you, you see a tree growing straight out of a cliff, it's just growing, it's hanging there, but that's as big as it's going to be. It's always going to be scraggly because it doesn't have anywhere to dig its roots in. 
You've seen all other kind of trees that are just kind of struggling to by. But you come into Iowa, you find yourself an oak tree. And that thing's got a taproot that goes down about as far as it goes up. It's got roots that are all going out on that. And it's digging into good soil and it's, being, it's being, uh, getting its nutrition and, and what that. But here's the thing. The tree's health is always determined by where its roots are. Now, this is very important. Human beings, unlike trees, get to choose where their roots are. We get to choose where we put our roots down. Trees don't get a choice. You throw an, oak, an acorn out there, that's where it grows. And living in Christ, you see, seems, means that our roots, by our choice, are put into Him, and we receive the, the best life, that freedom that we were singing about a few moments ago. Now, don't let this trick you into thinking that you get to divorce yourself from the world, because you don't. Because here's what happens, and I prescribe this passage probably to some of you that are here. I always say to people, you know, when you're troubled, look at Romans 5, 1 through 5, because what Romans 5, 1 through 5 tells you is this. You have been crowned a queen. You have been crowned a king by Jesus Christ himself. He has put his crown on your hand, head, and you have an eternal inheritance, and you can live in here. And you have to live with the duties of a slave sometimes because here you are rooted in this world. You are stuck in this world. So let's take a, take a look at Romans 5, 1 through 5. Here's how it goes. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. Okay, just... Dig that for a minute. We have peace with God. We're at one with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but get this, but we also glory in our sufferings. What? We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces endurance, perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, see, living with Christ means that life still is. And it still is diff difficult. But it is not disappointing to the place of breaking us because we have been crowned as those who love the Lord. So my message is come and live. I'll speed up. Let's look at our mission. So if you're going to look at the, if you want to write something down, the mission of Mike Morgan, the pastor, is simply this. Those who live in Jesus will serve his children. Those who live in Jesus will serve his children. This is not complicated for me. I'm a simplistic guy. That's why they put me at linebacker and third base. You don't have to think, just play, right? All right? In Matthew 25, there is the one theological exam that Jesus ever gives. It's called the parable of the sheep and goats, Matthew 25, 31 through 46. In there it says, I'm going to say it to the positive, whenever you help the least of one of my children, you have helped me. If you love Jesus, you help his kids. Who are his kids? Everybody else in this world. Simple. You serve people. We see physical needs. We see them with our eyes. We serve them with our hands. We see physical needs. We serve them with our money. We see physical needs. We serve them with our heart and our soul and with our time. And 
when you see spiritual needs, I've, I've had this all the time. People will come to me and say, Pastor Mike, I've been helping my neighbor, you know, with his garage or cleaning out his basement, and he just needs the Lord. And I know he wants to ask me a question about it. What do I do? <laughs> Offer him Christ. You know, we, 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 you know if, if you're going to, if you're going to be in mission for Christ, we, we, we serve the kids that Jesus has. We serve them physically, but we also serve their spiritual needs. Be not ashamed of the gospel. Be not hesitant. Understand this. You are qualified. If you're next to your neighbor and they're seeking Jesus, you're the one they want to ask. Heck, I got a website and cell phones and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Somebody gets a hold of me. They know how to get a hold of me. If they want to get a hold of me, they get a hold of me. If they want to get a hold of Pastor Keith, they get a hold of Pastor Keith. But here's the thing. They're with you. They want you to offer them Christ. It's one of the most important things we can ever offer to someone. It is the most important thing we can ever offer something. And know this about the experienced. Know this about the hardened hearts that you live with. Know this about the youth that you're around all the time. God changes people. He changed me. I was just a college student, pot-smoking, drinking, running around after girls kind of dude, and I'm a preacher now. Can you believe that? I can't. Only God can change people like that. Only God can change people like that. How in the world could we possibly do this? But understand that God changes people and he gives them the opportunity to pick where they're going to put their roots. So go to work, church, and bring your friends to work. Lastly, got to get the band back up here. Lastly, my method. This will really surprise you guys. This will really surprise you. For the love of Christ, never quit. That's it. For the love of Christ, never quit. I remember once my church secretary was standing over here, and I was coming into a church board meeting. It was about 12, 15 years ago, and she was standing over there, and she was saying to the church uh, uh, treasurer, I don't know who it was, probably the leader of the church council, because we were going to make some church tra- changes in the church for, for the sake of growth, and he says, well, do you think we can do it? And she says, well, i tell you this about Mike Morgan. And this is the only thing I know about him. He is like water against the dam. He will just keep leaning and pushing against it till it breaks. I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. That sounds like me right there. I'm okay with that. Because I know, I know throughout my life from the time I was a little kid till the time I'm not so inexperienced anymore that the world has always been pushing back against the Christ I know. It has always told me that morality is a bunch of hoo-ha. It's always uh, taught me that, hey, running, running around is better than following Jesus. Heart, hooking your, your roots into Christ is far less ineffective than doing your own thing. All my life, up until this very moment, I understand that I'm in the minority, and I care not. I know the world is against us because here's the thing. When we were talking about freedom is set free, the problem with so many people that aren't in the Christian community is they think the freedom looks like shackles. They think that hooking your life to Jesus Christ and allowing him to nurture you, to to, to grow you, is enslavement, not freedom. But I know differently. I know differently. Trust in God. But the world can change. See, I... I wouldn't even be up here if I didn't think that Marion could become more Christ-like than less. I wouldn't even be up here if I didn't think the world could be one for Christ, not just lost along the way. And so here's my final message to all of y'all. Whatever you're going to do, 
Let this be your method. Serve your maker while you have breath. Serve your God while you have breath. Because I can tell you this for sure one day. And we don't know when the day is. But we know that in the words of the old African spiritual, it is soon and very soon. Soon and very soon, our hearts will stop to beating. Our breath will stop coming in and out of our lungs. And our days here shall end. And I pray that you will hear the voice that I will hear because I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that when I die, I will hear the voice booming across eternity saying, Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come now and receive the inheritance that was prepared for you before the beginning of time. Amen. Allah.